It's the world's greatest super friends, Batman and Robin, Superman, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, the Wonder Twins, banded together to protect the universe from the forces of evil, the Super Friends. The Man of Scream. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 123 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode is going to be my penultimate episode covering the world's greatest super friends, the fall 1979 season of the show. And I'm going to cover the episodes Universe of Evil and Terror at 20,000 Fathoms. And yeah, this is the next to last episode of quote-unquote season 4 coverage as the season only in- contained 8 episodes. Three weeks of coverage, and here I am almost completing 1979. It is hard to believe <laughs> when you really think about it. And I've got some, uh, at least, you know, i got a couple good ones uh, for you this week, but before I get to them, I have feedback to address. The first email is from, the only email, is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode 112. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Well, I have to agree with you that the new Super Friends episodes you covered this week were not gems. They're fairly standard stories, with nothing really exciting or new happening. Of the two Challenge of the Super Friends episodes, I think Conquerors of the Future was the better one. It does seem, as you mentioned, that this was almost as if two scripts were put together to make this one. I think maybe if writers had fleshed out each one to make two separate episodes, they probably would have been better. The bad guys appear to have reformed idea, and traveling to a different time to take over the world idea, each could have been fun individually. The final challenge by the title sounds like it should have been the last episode of the series, but the story doesn't really have the epic feel we might expect for a final episode. The teaming of the two enemy groups is always fun to see, but I but it didn't really seem to be as strongly motivated as it could have been. Two off-topic notes. I really like the promo for your upcoming October episodes covering Superman the movie, and I'm very much looking forward to those, especially with all of your guests. I always enjoy the conversations when several podcasters get together to talk about Superman. In feedback on your comment on my feedback, I am in fact a short adult. I am about 5'6", a half foot shorter than you seem to think. I'm a bit taller than Al Pratt, the Golden Age Adam, but not by a lot. I come from a family of Shetland people, like the small ponies. My dad was about 5'7", and mom was 4'11". And when I was in grammar school, we were always lined up by height. She was quite impressed by how many tall kids there were in my class, since I was usually near the front of my line. Live long and prosper, Dave. All right, Dave, uh, thank you for writing in. As far as his comment that the episode I covered in episode 112 were not gems, even though that was 10 episodes, that was so many months ago that I barely remember those two episodes, to be totally honest. I think the Conquerors of the, Conquerors of the Future was the one where Superman, I believe, looked in the book to see how the Legion of Doom was defeated or something like that, and... The final challenge was the one where the aliens pit the Legion of Doom members against the uh, Super Friends in individual battles to kind of see who would win supremacy. I don't really particularly remember uh, either of those episodes very well. And it's really funny reading in Dave's letter that he likes the promo for the October uh, Superman the Movie Month as those episodes at this point have dropped months ago. And you will hear some of Dave's comments uh, on each of the 
five episodes of Superman the Movie Month, so that is, uh, we'll be starting in a few weeks. This email covered episode 112. Superman the Movie Month started with episode 115, so in about three short episodes, you're going to be hearing Dave's comments on Superman the Movie Month. It's almost hard to believe that in, I want to say, a month, maybe a little bit more, that I'll be getting into Superman 2. Even though a long time has passed, it's hard to believe I'm almost to the next Christopher Reeve movie, as there aren't nearly as many Super Friends episodes between as there have been. As for Dave's height, which apparently has become a topic of conversation, I wish I, wish I remembered how that came up, but I guess uh, Dave uh, just looks taller in the pictures I've seen on Facebook and whatnot, really out of context. I have no idea how tall anybody in his family is, so I guess... Uh, the eyes can play tricks on you. Yeah, so Dave is apparently not much taller than I am, or about my height. I tell people I'm 5'7", that's what my driver's license says, but I may not be. Just saying. Well, that's about all I got from Dave's letter. As usual, thank you, Dave, for writing in. You can write in as well. Get in on the act. Manascreen at gmail.com. So right now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with what I thought was a really good episode, Universe of Evil. Hang around, folks. It began with the return of an ancient evil. Ah! After 10,000 years, I'm free! It's time to conquer Earth! Alpha, leaders escape. Recruiter team of teenagers with attitude. This is the story of five teenagers. Not teenagers! Yes, teenagers. Specifically chosen to keep our planet safe as the Power Rangers! Ranger Chronicles. Every Tuesday, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet radio network all right welcome back folks now i'm going to march into my coverage of the universe of evil original broadcast date was october 20th 1979 and uh we have our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com your number one source for superman information on the web when a mexican dam fractures batman and wonder woman make sure it collapses destroying a village meanwhile superman tries to make mount vesuvius erupt at the Hall of Justice, Superman responds to a trouble alert about the volcano. He tries to stop it from erupting, but fails. The blast causes him and, a sin- and the sinister Superman from a parallel universe to switch places. Superman is discovered by the superenemies who take them to their Hall of Evil. When they find he is different, they hold him prisoner. Hmm, that's strange. What is it, Wonder Woman? According to the medical computer, your brain waves are reversed. They show tendencies toward honesty and ethical conduct. What's wrong with that? Don't worry about it, Superman. The computer's probably malfunctioned. Batman, what's going on? Why is everyone wearing those strange costumes? I was just about to ask you the same question. It's the trouble alert. We've just received word that the Conklin Diamond Mines have been robbed of $100 million in diamonds. We know who did it, and we'll get you, super enemies. That's what you think, Chief. You'll never stop us. <laughs> never stop you? Super enemies? What in blazing kryptonite is happening here? Holy parallel universes, Batman! The medical computer must be right! It seems the explosion of Vesuvius switched our evil Superman for this honest imitation. One false move, Superman, and we'll fill you full of kryptonite laser. Meanwhile, in our universe, the double pretends to be good. Galloping asteroids, Jaina. Superman left hours ago and Vesuvius is still erupting. Zan, Jaina. Superman? Well, what happened to your super suit? I think I'd better play along with him. Why, uh, I don't know, Jaina. The volcano must have changed it. But you didn't stop the volcano, Superman. Look. 
Stop the volcano? Great Satan, it's impossible. The eruption must have blown me into a parallel universe of good. Uh, I couldn't stop the volcano, Zan. It was, uh, uh, c uh, contaminated by kryptonite. Superman, you've got to hurry! Yeah, the other super friends are all tied up, and you're due at the International Gold Bank in Switzerland to guard the billion-dollar bullion transfer. Uh, thanks for reminding me, Zan. These fools don't realize who I am. Without the real Superman to stop me, I can easily take over this good universe and be the evil master of its wealth. <laughs> I've got work to do. When the evil Superman steals gold in Switzerland, he traps Batman and Robin in an armored truck. Meanwhile, Superman escapes and avoids the police to get help from the scientists at Metropolis University. Superman! Don't worry, I won't hurt you. You expect me to believe you? The most ruthless criminal in the galaxy? You must believe me. I'm not the Superman you think I am. A freak accident brought me from my parallel universe into this one. In my world, the super friends fight for truth and justice. But how can you prove to me you speak the truth? I can't. It is for you to judge. A true criminal could never take the chance of appealing to another's judgment. What can I do for you, Superman? An explosion at Mount Vesuvius took me from my home universe. I've got to find a way back. That's no easy task, but there is a chance. We've recently been working on an experiment with this antimatter. Go back to the place where you arrived here and open this flask. If you are truly from a universe opposite to ours, it may take you back. And again, it may be lethal. I've got to take the chance. If there's anything I can do to repay you, just ask. There is, Superman. Come back and bring truth and justice to this universe. You can count on it. And thanks. Meanwhile, Wonder Woman and Aquaman rescue Batman and Robin. The super friends try to stop the evil Superman who was ransoming oil in Saudi Arabia, but find that they're losing. In the alternate universe, Superman manages to use the flask at the volcano, despite attacks from the super-enemies and evil Gleek. Superman returns to our universe, causes the other Superman's return. Hey, cut it out! Who do you think you're shooting at? That other Superman was here just a second ago. Yeah? Well, I'm here now. And you guys just blew a great opportunity for me. You win, Superman! Don't worry, Batman. You're safe now. Superman, is it really you? Yes, Wonder Woman. And my evil counterpart has been returned to his own world. Good. I'm sure glad I'll never have to see the likes of him again. I'm afraid you may have to see him one more time, Robin. You see, I promised a certain person I'd return and do what I could to help clean up that evil universe. And I'll need all the help I can get. You've got it, Superman. After all, what are super friends for? Now let me say right off the bat that I really like this episode. This might be my favorite episode of the season so far. I mean, I've mentioned this before. I love time travel and parallel universes. So when I started watching this episode, I knew immediately that the concepts were right up my alley. Just a couple of notes before I go into the coverage of this episode. The universe of evil is, cl is clearly not what pre-crisis fans know as Earth-3, as the crime syndicate of America only had five members that had different names, Ultraman, Owlman, Superwoman, Power Ring, and Johnny Quick, which will differentiate them from the super enemies who are the same characters as our super friends, even the same names, but just opposite motivations. In terms of names, the universe of evil is closer to Earth-148 
but that reality had heroic versions of Lex Luthor, Kirk Clayface, and the Rogues, while this reality seems to have no heroes, at least no heroes that we know of. Earth 3 had a heroic Lex Luthor, and that was it. In terms of tone, this reality is closer to that of the Antimatter Universe Earth, where the crime syndicate of America was totally ruthless in their actions, than either Earth 3 or Earth 148. So, just some uh, multiversal uh, food for thought. And for those of you who remember the pre-crisis multiverse, it had infinite Earths. So, you could have uh, more than 52. That's more of a recent concept from shortly after Infinite Crisis. So, this episode starts with a dam breaking, and that's a nice uh, artist rendering of the inside of a dam. And I will say uh, that tech is spinning that valve very quickly. I mean, you would think the thing would be a little bit heavier. But this is a disaster, and the power room is being flooded. And it's unclear at first. The narration just says that this dam is in Mexico. It doesn't specify immediately that it's a parallel universe. So it's very easy to, right off the bat, think this is happening in, quote-unquote, our universe. But it's not. As we're going to see shortly, when we see shadowy versions of the Super Friends. And it's not how we're used to seeing them. And the eagle-eyed viewer will notice uh, that they emerge from the Hall of Evil. It says Hall of Evil at the top, the way the Hall of Justice does in the uh, quote-unquote home universe. So, if the viewer is paying attention, something is not right. So now uh, the uh, the people in the, of the area see the dam is breaking and run the higher ground, but Batman and Robin are going after the dam. We don't know what their intention is. You would think these grapples are meant to fix the dam, but nope, instead they make things worse and just flood the city. So, there's a lot of questions for the viewer right off the bat here. What is going on here? Why is everybody wearing red? I mean, Batman in a red costume just makes absolutely no sense. And why did they depart from the Hall of Evil? So, apparently, we're going to find out that they're evil versions of the Super Friends, but like I mentioned before, not quite Earth-3. Superman's costume is black. All the colors are the same except for the uh, part that the normal Superman costume is blue. It's black here. And very reminiscent of uh, what happened to Superman's costume in the... uh, post-crisis story arc time and time again where the whatever caused Superman to become unstuck in time darkened the the blue in his suit. But either way, the evil Superman is going to make Mount Vesuvius erupt. And then we uh, flip back to our universe, the uh, what the narration calls the universe known as ours. Or basically Earth-1A as it's called on the Super Friends wiki which is uh, based on the uh, DC Universe Earth-1 as it existed in the comics in 1979. Gleek has made a mess with a bunch of bananas, and apparently his failing project is some kind of banana smoothie, and that's really all I want to know. Now he's trying another formula, and it explodes all over him, and I love how the computer gets snarky with Gleek when that happens. If a computer could get frustrated, then this one definitely is. So the trouble alert shows Mount Vesuvius erupting, and at the moment I'm kind of wondering which Mount Vesuvius this is. And she's ready to blow, and Superman is going to seal her shut. Take that as you will. So apparently there's some kind of connection between the two universes at Mount Vesuvius, and the two Supermen seem to be working against each other. And both volcanoes end up erupting, which is what the other Superman wanted. And the uh, home universe Superman is suddenly confused by how night seemed to have fallen very quickly. But now, we don't know what's changed, but we are following the regular Superman, and he's digging a lava break, and uh, as he's doing this, the Super Friends music plays in all its glory like it's known to do. So apparently there is some kind of universal shift here as 
Superman seems to have wandered into the other universe because he's talking to the evil Aquaman and Wonder Woman, and he doesn't immediately realize that Wonder Woman's costume is different, and Aquaman's eye patch. One uh, question I have for the narrator, or whoever wrote the script, why does he have to call it the universe known as ours? Why can't he just say our universe? I think the viewer will get the point. And that's when we realize that the evil Superman has come to our universe, causing the two Supermen to switch places. And this reminds me quite a bit of the classic Star Trek episode, Mirror Mirror, more where Captain Kirk, Mr. Scott, Dr. McCoy, and Uhura get caught in an ion storm with the transporter and switch places with their, with more barbaric counterparts. This seems to be what happened here, kind of a similar concept. So that's when the evil Superman realized that he's in a parallel universe. And apparently he's a step ahead of our Superman, but he's not that good. At, he's not really good at making excuses as he's telling Zan and Jaina that the uh, volcano was contaminated by kryptonite. A lot of us and, uh, uh, you know, as he's uh, trying to think up of an excuse. I do find it funny that he refers to the Superman that we know as the real Superman. I mean, despite the, his other universally origins, he's still just as real as our Superman, even though he's evil. And now he's going to steal some gold, and he's going to take over the world. You know, classic 1970s supervillainous plot. Meanwhile, Superman is being scanned in the evil universe, and the computer can detect good character. I'm not sure how good character comes up in a brain scan, but apparently it does. So, in this universe, the trouble alert will warn the super enemies of policemen threatening to come and get them. But I must say, the evil version of the characters are much more on the ball than, than at least the uh, home universe Superman is. As, again, the evil Batman and Robin figure out the connection to the parallel universe, much like the evil Superman did in The Hall of Justice. And look at Robin's face. Check out that mustache. Very thin and almost curled. He looks a little bit like Zaro there, just if I had to compare it to anything. And the good Superman is in serious trouble as he's captured by and bound by kryptonite chains. And he's in a water tank, about to drown. Let's just say good is not being very smart today. So Batman and Robin are fighting the evil Superman. They still haven't figured out he's not Superman, and here we go. Fight night. Batman v. Superman. Much more talking, and a lot more of Superman winning this time around. Even if it's not the real Superman. And Batman and Robin are being thrown around. I'm guessing they somehow survived being thrown to the ground in a truck. Literally, he, the evil Superman had Batman and Robin in an armored truck and just threw them to the ground. And the Bat Torch is no good. That won't get them out. So now back in the other universe, it's hard to differentiate in audio sometimes between the various uh, Supermen. So the uh, the good Superman is going to combine his X-ray vision and freeze breath to cut the kryptonite chains, and it works. And now we run into Evil Gleek with buck teeth and pointed ears. And I wonder right off the bat if he's as incompetent as the Gleek we know. But Superman is uh, leaving the hall, and he's now under attack by the police who have kryptonite rays. But Superman manages to get where he's going, Metropolis University. So Superman uh, comes up to this scientist and uh, tells her what happened, and he convinces her to help him because an evil person wouldn't have put his faith in the scientist or something like that. She's off, she's convinced awfully quickly, but we need to move this story along, so why not? So apparently all he has to do is take a flask of antimatter to uh, Mount Vesuvius, and it will either get him home or kill him, which, when you think about it, is quite the margin for error. But she makes him promise to bring truth and justice to their universe, and Superman agrees. This reminds me of what we're going to see in a future Superboy episode, The Road Not Taken, where Superboy makes a similar agreement with the uh, citizens of a parallel universe. 
that episode is a personal favorite of mine, and that two-parter was my introduction to the concept of parallel universes. So, believe it or not, a Superman property is what introduced me to parallel universes, and not Star Trek or anything else. That episode is a favorite, and I'm definitely looking forward to covering that when the time comes. But that's still some time away. Meanwhile, Batman and Robin are still suffocating, and then they are rescued by Wonder Woman and Aquaman, because it seems as though Wonder Woman and Aquaman are kind of bosom buddies and the super friends. So now the evil Superman is going after the world's oil and trading it for all the world's money. Doesn't leave much for anyone else, does it? I guess he's the ultimate one percenter. And then here are the super friends. And the Superman just starts throwing his money at them, using it as a weapon. Remember how effective the super enemies were against Superman? The super friends are as useless here as the super enemies were effective. And the super enemies have stopped Superman from trying to go home and... I don't get why they're trying to stop him. He's opposing them. If he leaves, they get their Superman back, and... Nope, there he goes. Defeated again. But, in a last-ditch effort, he knocks the antimatter out of Gleek's hand and opens it and deflects the antimatter back at them, and he creates the switch, as both Supermen went home. And the evil Superman is angry at his comrades, saying they blew an opportunity for him, but (laughs) it's not really their fault. At home, when the switch happens, Superman just puts the pipe back and isn't even disoriented for a minute. So, the ending of this episode is Superman telling his friend of the deal he made with the unnamed scientists to rid their world of the super enemies, and we get a nice moment of solidarity with the super friends as they agree to help him. But at the same time, I'm really bummed that we're never going to revisit this concept, because Superman going to that universe and following through on on his promise probably would have been a fun episode, and I really would have enjoyed that, but as near as I can tell, we're never going to revisit this concept and never see them go back to this world. And this was a great episode. I've said it in the past, and I said it previously in this episode, that time travel and parallel universes are a weakness of mine. I'm going to love a story that combines one or both of these elements most of the time. There are some that I don't love, but they are few and far between. Yeah, as far as one I don't love, I'm looking at you, Lois and Clark. Specifically the Season 4 episode, Soulmates. So, with that being said, I'm going to take a uh, quick break, play another promo, and I'm going to finish this week's episode off with Terror at 20,000 Fathoms. Hang around, folks. Love him or hate him, everybody's got something to say about John Byrne. He ruined the X-Men when he left. That John Byrne, he's a sexist pig. The only thing bigger than John Byrne's ego is... Oh, wait, there isn't anything bigger than John Byrne's ego. John Byrne, oh, he he just draws the greatest butt on Superman. It looks so good. John Byrne is the greatest artist I've ever seen. Wait, who is he? John Byrne's 1986 Man of Steel series gave us the core reimagining of Superman that is still with us today. Third Degree Byrne, a podcast about all things John Byrne. The good the bad, and the legendary. Join Tim Elliott and Brian Hughes as they look over the nearly five decades body of work of one of the most influential comic book creators in the last 50 years. Third Degree Burn can be found at twotruefreaks.com and on iTunes. I've got a question, though. I just am curious. Why? Doesn't Green Lantern have any junk?
All right, welcome back, folks. I'm going to finish this episode off with Terror at 20,000 Fathoms. Original broadcast date was October 20th, 1979. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Submariner Captain, Captain Nimoy, has an android Batman kidnap the real Batman. Laser scaffold. There. My android Batman is functioning perfectly. Memory circuits activated. Excellent. You're indistinguishable from the real Batman. And with your computerized microbrain, you'll carry out my orders to the letter. Yes, Captain Nimoy. The real Batman is scheduled to take three nuclear missiles on a test flight at 0800. I will replace Batman and hijack the test flight, bringing the missiles back to you. That is correct. And once I possess the most powerful missiles in the world, no one will be able to stop me from carrying out my plans. Not even the Super Friends. And steal a military jet with Robin and three nuclear missiles. After showing his fortress of solitude to the other heroes. Well, how do you like it, Wonder Twins? This is my private hideaway, my fortress of solitude. Jupiter, Superman, it's incredible. Especially this Superman museum. Follow me and I'll give you a guided tour. What's that? That's the robot spider of Alpha 12. I sure hope it doesn't come to life. And this is the kryptonite vault. Within these eight-foot-thick steel, concrete, and lead-lined walls is all of the world's known kryptonite. What's this, Superman? That's the bottle city of Kandor. It used to be a great metropolis on my home planet of Krypton. Now millions of tiny Kandorians live in that bottle, shrunken by that evil fiend, Brainiac. <laughs> Bleak? He's flying! I'm afraid not, Jaina. Bleak must have been disturbing the bottle and my Kandorian friends were just taking the necessary precautions. Everything's okay, Superman. We'll be seeing ya. Great Scott! I'm supposed to meet Wonder Woman on Saturn in five minutes. Five minutes to Saturn? Now that's what I call rapid transit. Aquaman responds to an alert and is captured by Nimoy. Nimoy wants to use the missiles to hit the crust beneath continents and sink them. He finds the Orthodox kryptonite to do this. Excellent! Once I fire these three missiles into the continental shelves, the Earth's continents will sink into the ocean, and I shall be ruler of the new world beneath the sea! <laughs> the missiles are ready, Captain. Very good. The countdown shall begin. T-minus ten and counting. Nine, eight, seven... Six, five, four, three, two. This is computer override circuit. All systems halted. What's going on? Computer analysis indicates that three missiles with conventional warheads are insufficient. The addition of element kryptonite to warheads is necessary to create chain reaction that will dissolve crust under the continents. I want no more delays. Interlock the satellite jamming circuits. I want to communicate directly with the United Nations. Seconds later, at the United Nations. And for this reason, we of South Africa... This is Captain Nimoy, addressing all nations of the world. You will gather for me all of the world's kryptonite, 
or there will be a terrible disaster. Look to your North Pole for a warning. And the UN tells him, this is how, and the UN tells him, this is now held in Superman's fortress. Nimoy goes and captures the Wonder Twins and the Kryptonite. As two missiles are launched, the Wonder Twins have Gleek still in the fortress. Looks like we really blew it this time, Wonder Brother. You said it, Jaina. The whole world's at stake and we're sure of little help. That's it! What's it? Little help! If we can just contact the Condorians in their bottled city, they may be able to stop the missiles. But how are we going to contact them? The only one at the Fortress of Solitude is... Gleek? Wonder Twins Emergency! Calling Gleek! Come in, Gleek! Alert the superpowered Kandorians who are able to save Japan and North America from sinking. Aquaman has three squids save both him and Batman and Robin, who have been launched in torpedoes. Thanks for your help. We couldn't have stopped that evil Captain Nimoy without you. Anytime, Batman. Just give us a call when you need us. But do us one favor. Keep that bumbling blue space monkey away from Kandor. Speaking of Gleek, where is he? Oh, no. I think Gleek wants to live in a bottle city of his own. All right, now here we are under the ocean, a very roomy submarine, I might add. Usually submarines are much more tightly packed and kind of make the people inside them a little bit claustrophobic. And this guy, Captain Nimoy, spelled N-E-M-O-Y, is definitely a take on Captain Nemo from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Even the title of the, of the episode, Terror at 20,000 Fathoms, is reminiscent of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Jules Verne novel, and I believe a movie was made of it too at one point. The android is going to carry out Captain Nemo's orders to hijack missiles. I must say, though, despite the inverted bat signal, the android Batman looks a little pudgy. Maybe it needs to go on a diet or something. Batman and Robin are overseeing the missile test, and uh, a fake phone call brings a real Batman to the android Batman. So there's been a replacement, and the android Batman speaks a little robotically, and it's amazing to me that no one notices the difference. You know, it's a cartoon, so I guess I'd have to post a notice the difference. Either way, Batman and Robin take off and are flying in an airplane, and Batman removes his helmet and takes the plane off course. So, instead of taking Robin prisoner, which may have been the better play, the android Batman ejects Robin and lets him fall into the ocean, and then he takes the missiles to Captain Nimoy. And I typed these notes as I'm watching the episode, so apparently I typed too soon and didn't go back and correct it. And Robin is captured when he says he'll call for help. Meanwhile, we are seeing the Fortress of Solitude for the first time on Super Friends. The Fortress was, has been a mainstay of DC Comics decades at this point, but I imagine it entered the mainstream with its appearance a year earlier in Superman the movie. It's not quite the Ice Palace that Richard Donner introduced us to, but it is shown at least on the outside as a doorway built into the ice. Looks more like a steel door than the uh, pre-crisis fortress built into the mountain. The interior is not at all like the movie Fortress, but the color scheme is a bit different than what we saw in the comics of the time period. Basically, for those of you who are unfamiliar, and if you're listening to this podcast, I can't imagine that you are, the Fortress is Superman's man cave. One of the things that struck me about this episode, it always seems to strike me about the uh, the Silver Age uh, Fortress, is like the statue Superman has of his friends and... Like the rooms dedicated to his friend. You don't see the uh, the Perry White room and the Lois Lane room and the Jimmy Olsen room in this like you see in some of the pre-crisis comics. But Jaina does reference a quote-unquote Superman museum. This is Superman's, like I said, his man cave where he likes to hang out and be himself. Why does he need a museum dedicated to himself? Superman should not be this much of a narcissist. But I mean, I understand having some souvenirs around. 
that he picked up on various missions, but does he have to create a Superman museum in his own fortress hideaway? <laughs> and he gives him a tour. I, I can only imagine how many tours he must give in this place. He has Kryptonite Vault, which let's call a Chekhov's Kryptonite Vault for now. There is a giant robotic spider, the likes of which John Peters was determined to get into Superman Lives, but that movie never happened, although... As a joke, the creator of Superman Doomsday did sneak a robotic spider into that film. And the uh, Bottle City of Candor, which is also, let's call it Chekhov's Bottle City as well. So we've got Chekhov's Kryptonite Vault and Chekhov's Kandorian City. So Gleek is uh, now messing around with the bottle as he apparently freed a Kandorian. And apparently the Kandorians can fly in and out of the bottle if the cork is popped. Good to know. And the trouble alert goes off and Aquaman kind of helps himself to answering Superman's phone. So, the expositional phone call tells Aquaman that Batman and Robin have disappeared. It, and it's a terrible threat, and apparently only Aquaman is available as Wonder Woman and Superman are on Saturn doing round-knows what. And actually, uh, Superman does tell the Wonder Twins earlier in the episode that he has to go meet Wonder Woman on Saturn, but there's no uh, explanation as to why. So, basically, Superman just takes himself right out of the story and leaves everybody in his fortress. You would think he'd bring them home before uh, flying off to Saturn. So, Captain Nimoy's men are kind of reminiscent of the Penguin's henchmen from the Batman 66 movie. And uh, the Batman android has kind of a creepy laugh. Personally, I think anytime Batman laughs, it's kind of creepy. But this android is doubling down on the creepy. Okay, three missiles are being fired into the continental shelves, causing the continents to sink. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Sounds awfully like how Lex Luthor wanted to launch his real estate scheme with the nuclear missiles. Although this time it's under the water as opposed to... Uh, coming down from the sky. And this time, Nimoy only wants to rule the undersea continents. Apparently, he only wants North America, and it looks like Japan. The rest of the continents are apparently are going to remain where they are. So, the missiles are not enough, and the, he needs kryptonite to make the chain reaction happen. I can only wonder why the computer didn't realize that earlier, but it didn't. Maybe it just figured it out now. I don't know. Maybe it was doing additional calculations trying to figure out why the thing didn't work. I don't know. So, Nimoy calls the UN and basically says, give them the kryptonite. And now Superman's uh, Kryptonite Vault is going to come into play, yes. And now here is Aquaman on a seahorse. I cannot get enough of Aquaman on a seahorse. And and by now you've heard my coverage of, of James Wan's Aquaman movie. Aquaman rode a seahorse, and I was pumped. I was pumped about a lot of stuff in that episode. Uh, check out uh, Manuscript Extra episode 23 for more on that if you haven't done so already. So they have an hour to get the Kryptonite, and it's unclear whether Nimoy gets it, but Aquaman shows up and he's captured very quickly. Now uh, Superman and Wonder Woman are still screwing around on Saturn. As the UN reveals that only the Super Friends know where the Kryptonite is. Fortunately, due to an earlier plot, we know too. So, the Batman android puts one over on Aquaman and tricks him into revealing the Kryptonite is at the fortress. I knew something fishy was up when I couldn't figure out how Batman got out of his cell. So, Batman and Robin and Aquaman are loaded into torpedo tubes, and each one has a symbol of the hero inside its insignia. You know, obviously it's an animation uh, tool to... So that the viewer knows which hero is in which missile when they're shown on screen. But when you think about it, and when you put it in an in-universe type of context, that means that somebody actually had, in the world, obviously, the animators had to do it. Some writer had to imagine that someone in the world would actually do this. So, the twins are still out the fortress when Android Batman shows up. And Gleek knows something is wrong when he spots the panel on the Android's boot, and that wisens the twins. My question is how did the Android get into the fortress, and how did he know its location? But that's neither here nor there. So Jaina becomes a gorilla, and Zan becomes a waterfall. Not sure what a waterfall is going to do, but at, this, at least Jaina then skids the android Batman into the waterfall and shorts him out. So I guess that's what it does. But Nimoy is there, and the twins are captured, cutting short their moment of celebration. I still don't know how any of these people got into the fortress of the vault, but clearly this episode has no interest in showing or explaining that. 
So, Jaina and Zan come up with the idea to have Gleek release some Kandorians to stop the missiles, because Superman and Wonder Woman are still off-planet. Again, doing round knows what. So, before giving Gleek a lecture, the Kandorians split into two groups and mess with the missiles, pulling wires and causing the first missile to crash, but the second one seems to have hit, and California is sinking. It's funny how California is sinking. I feel like we've just seen this before. So the Kandorians are going to stop it from sinking, and they're going to put the shelf back together, and that seems to have worked. Again, they put the, the Continental Shelf back together, much like Superman did when he put the uh, San Andreas Fault back together in Superman the movie. Meanwhile, Batman, Robin, and Aquaman are still trapped in torpedoes, but Aquaman will summon some squid to help him, and they go back to Captain Nimoy. So Batman and Robin go back to Nimoy's hideout, and then the Kandorians show up. <laughs> Apparently, the four of them are almost as strong as Superman, who is still on Saturn. And uh, Nimoy is quite surprised to find that California is not underwater, and here come the Super Friends to stop him. I'm getting a very Batman 66 feel out of this episode. Not only are the henchmen dressed the way they are, with the uh, red and white striped shirts, but Nimoy's submarine looks like a flying fish, if I hadn't mentioned that before. So the Kandorians lift themselves out of the water, and Nimoy focuses on the Super Friends. I think one of the henchmen is Danny Dark, as the missile strike beaches uh, Nimoy's sub in the day is saved. So Batman thanks the Kandorians for their help. The Kandorians want Gleek away from them, because apparently he is nothing but a menace. And a good reason, too, to keep him away, as apparently Gleek has uh, trapped himself in a bottle with no bananas. Imagine if he, trapped, if he trapped himself in Gandor. He'd sit on the city. So This wasn't a bad episode, but I was disappointed by the lack of Superman. Even if the episode was flush with Superman concepts like Kryptonite and the bottle city of Gandor. But still, I'd prefer to see the man, you know, doing superhero heroic stuff and not just being a tour guide. So, next time, if you can believe it, we complete our coverage of the fall 1979 season with the Super Friends Meet Frankenstein and the Planet of Oz. In the meantime, you can send feedback. It's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. Also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And if you don't mind, why don't you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. So, until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.